0: You're now listening to the River Claremont Podcast. Throw me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Somebody shout Jesus. Jesus. He's the reason for the season. But you don't just need the season to focus on Jesus. Jesus. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, "...for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder." Come on, somebody. "...we are of a kingdom that is unshakable. As born-again believers, we serve the Almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. We may be in this world, but we're not of this world. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Somebody shout increase. increase. God's kingdom is never decreasing. It is always increasing. Come on. People are always being born again. And the longer he tarries, the more brothers and sisters we get. When you get to heaven, it'll be a great party. You know, I thought about that. I've, I've said this a few times publicly. If there, If the Lord doesn't really live in time, it's already completed in the spirit. So he's already seated in heavenly places. The scripture says we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So it's already done. Do we all arrive in heaven at the same time? Like, is it just like a grand entrance of like everybody, people showing up like William Shakespeare with their ruffle collars, people showing up with their 80s clothes, with the Oakley sunglasses and the... the, the tie-dye, some hippie Jesus from the Jesus movement being like, peace, love, and we're all going together. It's Pretty cool, right? Be like, man, that is a rich variety of the goodness of God. Amen. Tonight, I want to preach a message to you called the greatest gift. How many people know what I'm going to talk about tonight? I'm not going to talk about Christmas at all. We're going to talk about Easter. No, I'm just joking. All right, but before we start tonight's service, I wanna do a game with you guys. It is Christmas, games are fun. I'm gonna say something that sounds difficult. If you can do it, I want you to stand up so that we can all celebrate the fact that you are an incredible person, okay? Are you ready for this? All right, number one, who in here can speak three languages fluently? If you can speak them, stand up and give them a hand clap. Keep standing too. Keep standing awkwardly while we make other people do stuff. And what languages can you speak? Spanish, Portuguese, and English. Spanish, Portuguese, and English. What can you speak? Ukrainian, Russian, and English. English, Spanish, and Portuguese. I'm also standing because I can speak American, redneck, and in tongues. Amen. So, I I also have three languages fluently. I'm very proud of that. Amen. People are like, is Redneck a language? Yes, it is. If you go to certain places of Tennessee, you better be flowing. Okay. All right. Who in here can do a backflip? If you can do a backflip, stand up with those that can speak three languages. You keep standing. You can do a backflip, standing still, not with a knee brace on, but you can give it up bro just so you know he's an MMA fighter he could beat anybody up in here that's why I always make him sit up sit up close because if anybody came he's gonna come at them amen all right who in here can rebuild a motor an engine He had to rebuild an engine who can rebuild an engine of course these guys all right yeah you handy 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 I was going to say, Sean, you better stand up. I have a feeling you could do that with your eyes closed. Who in here can sew an outfit to, like, you know how to sew, and you could sew together a dress and outfit? Who's a sew? Seamstress? It's a dying art. These are incredible people, but not to leave everybody else out. Who in here can eat cookies? Yes, give them a hand clap as they stand. They have never met an oatmeal raisin that they were ever intimidated by. All right. Who in here can boil water? Look around. You're practically chefs. You should wear a hat. Amen. The scary part is, is there are some people not standing. So at the end of the service, we're going to give an altar call for those of you that struggle with cookies and water. It's going to be a great time and the Lord will heal you. You can be seated. Amen. Give everybody a big shout across the place four and a half fun in life. America is a very comparison-based society. We are the originators of the slogan, keeping up with the Joneses, where we live our whole life, pressurized, trying to keep up with our neighbors, trying to look one way, do this. We create labels, upper class, upper middle class, upper upper middle middle class. Always trying to label things, always trying to compare things. We have tests as a society to determine what part you fit in. I mean, I grew up in Tennessee. We have what is called the TCAP test, where every year, every student suffers through these grueling tests. You ever taken those tests, too, where it's like, read all of the instructions all the way to the end before you complete the test. And I never would read that. And you would do the test. And they would say, don't do the test if you read the instructions all the way. And then you have to erase everything. Anybody ever do that? Okay, praise the Lord. I wasn't the only one. And so then you would tell you what percentage you are in. Like you're in the 57th percentile of the state. So you're, the, you're in the top 57% or whatever. So it's a constant comparison. And we're basically taught as human, humans on earth that our worth is really determined by things that can be counted or, or measured. That your, your, your IQ, we got to create a number to know who's smarter than who which really in itself is stupid because anyone ever ever taken an IQ test? Who's taken an IQ test? When I was younger, I was ex- exceptionally brilliant. I don't know what happened, <laughs> but I was singled out and asked to take an IQ test in, in, in elementary school to determine if I was what they call gifted. And so, just so you know, I wasn't gifted. I was a little bit short of being gifted. But it was basically, it's all sorts of things. You look at pictures, you try and tell things you have to put together wooden boxes it's impossible to measure honestly a person's intelligence versus another one because it depends entirely on what we're doing where we're at and what you're you're skilled at you know what i mean but ultimately we still always try and determine who's the greatest i want you to put up on the screen this this statue i want everybody to look at the beauty of this is that not the most amazing thing you've ever seen Uh, We stand in awe of the wonder and the beauty of what is called the man with the finger. It's the true name. You can Google it. The man with the finger, not like a bad finger. I think he's pointing, They're supposed to be that he's pointing to the future of mankind. So this guy, the man with the finger, was sold. How many people think, think, if you were in the first service, don't guess. Because it's not a guess. You already know. Who in here thinks you can tell me how much that statue is worth? What do you say? You think that thing's worth $3,000? Come on. He's like, yeah. Be confident. Be bold. Just say yes. All right. Who in here thinks 3000 good? How much do you think it's worth? Anybody else? Come on. It's, it's an interactive service. How much? Thirteen million dollars for that statue. Twenty-five thousand. Can I get a one? Can I get a three? Thirteen million and one. Thirteen million and one. What's your say? One million. All right, you ready for this? This statue. Hit me with. Huh? A hundred thousand. This statue is worth one hundred and forty-one million dollars. The man with the finger. million. Joe, would you give $141 million for the man with the finger? I'll stand in your yard like that for half the price today and today only. Oh, there we go. Do I got it? Okay, take a picture. It'll last longer. $141 million for that. The artist himself actually said that when he created this, there was an art show the next day, and he had no art for it. So he was staying up late, stressed out. I need to create something for the art show. And only at midnight did he come up with the idea to create the man with the finger. And he worked on it from midnight till 9 a.m. and produced this lovely, unbelievably accurate statue of a man with a finger that sold for $141 million. Nine hours from, from a creation in your mind to completing the work, $141 million. So can anybody in here tell me why it was worth $141 million? Because someone was willing to pay that. <laughs> someone was willing to pay $141 million. Some people just have money, obviously, you know what I'm saying? But that obviously you know where I'm going with this then. So if, if so if the value or the worth is determined on what someone will actually give to exchange for the ownership of it, then what is your worth? Because Christ is the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth that gave his very life. Before you even knew him, before you could even know him, before you could even know you needed to know him, he decided you were worth whatever it took to pay the ultimate price. You have great value. Come on, somebody. Great value. Gifts of great value. The Bible says a gift opens, a gift of great value opens doors. Christ gave the best gift he could possibly give. And ultimately, a lot of times we, we know this, we think about this. Yes, Christ gave his life for each and every single one of us. Yes, he died on Calvary's cross. But if you really begin to understand and put yourself in the understanding that Christ did this as a man. Right? I mean, look at the way we responded in 2020 because people are so scared to lose their lives. The way people fear grips people to be willing to to embrace the fact that you will be tortured, beaten, mocked, your beard ripped out, and endure all of that pain so that people that you haven't even met yet will one day call upon your name. That's wild. He gave the best gift. Now, it's Christmas time. This is why we actually exchange gifts at Christmas time. Who in here has ever got a gift of extreme value from someone that they gave you, they wanted to bless you with it, and you didn't have anything to give back? What happens? You're like, man, I need to give them something, right? Jesus, what did they just do? They've just blessed my socks off. Who in here has ever had a gift of that magnitude? Or who in here has ever given a gift of that magnitude? Now, when you gave the gift, did you really want anything back? No. See, that's the beauty of a gift. You just give it because you love the person and you want to honor and bless the person. Christ did that with you. And ultimately, what you do with the gift is entirely up to you and I. You could take that gift, throw it on the ground, and walk right out the door. Or you could value that gift and every day of your life cherish the fact that that gift was given for you. You could make it personal and realize, Jesus did that for me. Come on. And if you had an attitude of gratitude, what would it do? It would make you desire to give a gift in exchange. Right, Pastor Joe? When someone blesses you, it sparks within you the attitude that I want to bless this person back. Right? And so what does that look like for us? How can we ever repay Christ Jesus for what he gave for us? Can you ever give your life for Jesus? Well, the Bible says that you can live as unto the Lord or die as unto the Lord, but let everything be done as unto the Lord. It says you can present your life as a living sacrifice unto God. Thank God that we don't have to present it as a dead sacrifice. But as a living sacrifice, I can give my life to Jesus Christ as an exchange for what God has already given to me. Come on, somebody. Amen. What does that look like then? How do I give God back for what he's given to me? Number one, Proverbs says that you should never, ever boast from your own lips or praise yourself. Let another man or stranger praise you. Christ made you. In heaven you were crafted. You were given free will and now you can freely choose to praise him or not praise him. Come on. Part of living for God, the exchange back is to live a life of praise. Amen? So why don't we take just a moment as a corporate body and I want you to think about what has God done for you in 2022. And I want you to give him some praise. Come on. As he healed you. Has He protected you? Has He provided for you? Come on. Just the fact that we are here tonight in a building with heat is something praiseworthy. Just the fact that you're alive, that you're well. His hand has been upon you. His word has been illuminated. Your spirit is within you. You know His name. He watches over you. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, we praise you in this place. We praise you in this house. Lord, may my life bring you great praise. May my actions point others to you. Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you should be dead. Some of you nearly died this year. But God, come on, somebody. He's not finished with you. He's still writing a story. And whatever God writes has a happy ending. Come on, somebody. And He is faithful to complete that which He begins in your life. 2023 will be sweeter than 2022. But if you make it to 2024, it's going to be even better. And 2025 is going to be over the top, baby. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, praise the Lord. The Lord's been having me be doing a research. I've actually been studying the the spirit, soul, and body. The three parts of men. It's what the Lord's been having me study for the last month. Just the dynamics of the three dimensions of man. We are a three-part being. And the spirit of man was dead. Wasn't around. So man was walking around in the curse with just the body and the soul. And the soul could not spring to life. It could not produce great things. It was subject to the surroundings around it and everything that was protruded upon it. But then Jesus came that He might give us a new life that our spirits might come to life once more. Born again by the Spirit. Come on, somebody. And then by the Spirit, now I can access the realms of God in the Spirit at any moment. Come on. And spirits... The spirit of man has a language. It's a language of faith. It's a language of hope. And it's a language of praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your spirit will never curse the Lord. Come on, somebody. That's what the Bible says. You judge spirits because if it's of God, you'll never curse Christ Jesus. Your spirit will never have a negative word to say about God. Because it knows his faithfulness. It knows who he is. And it knows life itself is dependent on Christ. Hallelujah. Man, when you begin to tap into life and the spirit and stirring up that life within you, praising the Lord. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for tomorrow. I thank you for your hand upon me, leading and guiding me and providing for me. Come on, somebody. Praise him. He's good. He's good. Look at a world that is professional at complaining. My gosh, there's truth in the saying that good or bad news travels fast. It does. Or is it good news travels fast? Well, anyways, bad news travels fast. Maybe good news does too. But ultimately, I look at my phone. You know, you search your phone when the news things come up. I can't tell you ever a good news article that actually pops up. The world never celebrates anything. It's always, you know, Trump's going to go to jail, you know. (laughs) They've been pumping that same story forever. I pray it fails. In Jesus' name. But ultimately, life in the Spirit is a life that you begin to to tap into the fact that, man, I'm going to praise the Lord in any and all circumstances. Even when I'm going through trials and tribulations, because I know that I only go through them and I don't remain in them. And I'm going to praise the Lord. The greatest gift exchange. How do I live for God? Number one, you don't live your whole life complaining. You live your life praiseworthy unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus, for another day. I choose today that I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. And I declare great things will happen today and every day in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You with me, church body? Praise the Lord. Somebody shout "Amen." amen. Somebody shout the Lord is good. And his, and his mercy endures forever. Thank you, Jesus. Whew. Whew. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. You ever been facing something? And it's like then you find out. It's like the midnight hour. And it looks like certain demise. And then God comes through. And when he comes through, you realize how long he had been working on that thing. He worked on it before you even knew you had a problem. And then it blows your mind to the faithfulness of God. Come on, somebody. There's a story I love to tell that it always ministered me to Robert Morris. I went to Oral Roberts University and Robert Morris used to come through there sometimes. Great gateway church out of uh, Texas. And he was telling a testimony at Oral Roberts University of this one time when he was a traveling minister before he built gateway church to be a mega church. That he used to travel and he would minister, he was an evangelist, always on the road, him and his wife carrying on doing the work of the Lord. And got to a time in their ministry where they they needed a financial gift of a certain amount just to keep the bills paid and everything like that. And he said the number, and I don't remember the exact number, but it was basically like $5,312.21, you know, when people are accurate. you got to love those people that with their tithe is to the penny, Amen. I just rounded it up. But some people are like, to the penny, amen. And so he knew exactly what he needed. So he was, his wife told him, go to the mailbox and check the, the PO box for the ministry. And he said, man, I don't want to go there. All that ever comes for the ministry is bills. So he went to the mailbox. And before he went there, he stirred himself up. And he was like, Father, I thank you for the $5,318.21. I call it in. Anybody in here ever done that prayer? I called in from the what? The north, the south, the east, the west. Lord, send in the ravens. Amen. It's like, why can't it just come from the south? It's got to come from all directions. Amen. We, nobody ever stops with just north and south. It's always got to hit east and west too, just to, just to be sure. Amen. The north, the south, the east, the west. Ah, shakata. God can't do it if you don't name every direction. I'm telling you, brothers. There's a spiritual lesson in this somewhere. You're going to be wealthy just because now you know to call in the West. Okay. So anyways, he prays, does that whole thing, gets to the mailbox, opens the mailbox. There's a couple of bills, but then there's an envelope in there. And he opens the envelope and slides out a check, $5,318.21 to the penny. Somebody shout amen. amen. That's good. It's like when Ray Ray's, he was in the, in the 4 p.m. service. When the Lord got him that supernaturally, that Corvette, it was down to the penny that the Lord paid for it. Yeah. Amen. How many people realize God even knows down to the penny? Right. So he's rejoicing. You know what I'm saying? $5,318.21. Hallelujah, Father, I thank you. My prayers were heard. You moved. And the Lord stops in mid-praise. Says, read the letter. People never read the letter when there's a check, Pastor Joe. The check says it all, right? <laughs> Come on, loosen up. You got to feel like it's stiff and starchy, you know. It's Christmas time. I mean, what what's wrong? Did you not get a gift under the tree? Feel like. And so he's praising the Lord. The Lord says, read the letter. So he reads the letter, and in the letter this woman goes into great length and says, "Man, it was like a year and a half ago the Lord spoke to me to show this. It's taken me till this time to prepare this gift and get everything ready. I'm sending it in faith. I pray that it meets you at the right exact time. May the Lord reward you. May the Lord bless you. And when he got done reading it, the Lord said, "See some before you even had the need. I already provided everything you needed. Come on, somebody. That's the God we serve. Before you even know you have a need, God has already provided that that which you need. Amen. The midnight hour in the the kingdom of God is always the perfect time because God is about to show up big time. If you believe it, shout it's true. true. Say the Lord is good good. and His His mercy endures forever. It's the season of joy if you praise. It's not the season of joy if you complain. Anybody ever enjoy being around a complainer? No. No. Complainers are? Drainers. drainers. Who in here has complained a little bit? I have this year. I'll be facing. And so then you realize, man, Lord, I need to change my confession. I need to praise you again. And I need to stir that up because an attitude of gratitude opens doors in my life. Come on. If I want to give a gift back to God. May it be a life that every single day, it's like I've had times, obviously I have times as a minister and even just what I see for the spirit, what I see for the church, where I I definitely go in times where I'm so focused, like father, like move that, do that. I mean, it's like, you feel like you're waging war and then feel like you're always asking God for stuff, you know, Lord, help me with this Lord, break this open Lord, do that Lord, give me wisdom Lord, do me that, give me that. And, and, and you're always, you know, from the right place. But then you have those moments in worship that come at you sometimes where you're just smacked with this presence. And you're like, God, if you never did anything else for me, you've already done too much. Like I can't. And then when that hits you, you're like, I don't even know what to ask for anymore. And it's usually preceded with something better than you could have even dreamed because that's who he is. Are you with me tonight? Like when we say the Lord is good, we mean the Lord is good. Like, man is okay, but the Lord is so good. And what he does is it blows your mind. And those moments of worship, when you realize, man, you don't have to do anything else. Because you've already done everything. And I just want to say thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody. Lift your hands to the Lord. Just thank him. Father, thank you. Whoo, stir it up. Come on, church. Jesus, You're glorious, You're wonderful, You're magnificent. You gave the best gift. You literally made a way where there was no way. You are a river of life in the middle of the desert of this world. You spring up within me. And Father, tonight I glorify Your name. Majestic is Your name. Oh, and at the mention of Your name, every knee will bow. But Lord, I'm not waiting for that day, because today I bow before you and say, I worship you, my king, I glorify you, I give you all of my tomorrows, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise him. Father, we praise you in this place. Praise is a weapon. Just ask Paul and Silas how they got out of prison. They praised the Lord, and the place was shaken, amen. I believe the day will come before Christ Jesus comes back that this church will have a time of prayer and praise where the building will shake, Pastor Joe. In Acts chapter 5, the place where they prayed, the place was shaken by the hand of God. I'm telling you, one of these days this building's going to shake. Maybe it won't be this one, but it'll be some building and we're going to be like, he's coming or we're going to die. I was in Atlanta praying that, and man, I was like, I was preaching it. The buildings are going to shake. The building began to shake, Pastor Joe. And I was like, it's happening. It said, then a train horn blew because we were right on the train tracks. This little building that used to be a train way station, and it just shook the building. But one day, it won't be a train. It'll be the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Who thinks God can shake a building? Come on. I was telling my mom today because I was on the phone with her because it's Christmas. (laughs) I call her a lot, though. I have to check in on my mama. I love my mama. But I was telling her today how often you got to remind yourself that there is not a battle between heaven and hell. That doesn't exist. God's not up there waging warfare against demons. Demons are defeated. They are beneath our feet. Come on. The battle's in the mind. It goes on. There's spiritual warfare for us, but Christ Jesus and his kingdom is not in war. They're, they're not trying to guard the pearly gates from demons trying to get their way in there. He said, I beheld Satan as of lightning fall from heaven. He is cast out. Come on, somebody. The defeated foe. You praise the Lord. That's how you begin to honor the Lord. Then Luke 4:16. This is Jesus, it says, when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom, say his custom. His custom. That means he ordinarily did something. Anybody that does something customarily, you're, you're, it's your custom to do it. Like who in here's custom is you drink coffee every morning? Me. Come on. It's sad but true. We need to all get delivered, but we'll do that <laughs> on the sweet golden streets of heaven. Amen. His custom was that he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. What does that mean? It means that Jesus went to church. You want to give God your life? I tell this to people. I've said it for a decade of my life. You need to find a church and you need to plug into the church. You are made to live in community. Period. And you cannot make it. And I'm speaking from experience with as much love as I can muster. But I have watched in my own family the lie of hell to bring people out of the corporate church and say we're going to do it at home. And what happens? Everything spirals out. Make sure you stay plugged in. Now somebody says, but there's problems in church. Yes, there's problems in church. You know why there's problems in church? Because we're in church. (laughs) And we got problems. Ain't that right, Brad? Anybody ever had a problem? I got 99 problems, but the church ain't one. That's right. There's problems. People produce problems. There's, there's never a perfect church. I want you to understand this. If Jesus customarily showed up at the synagogue, and at the synagogue they plotted to murder him, it wasn't exactly like going to church was a friendly thing for Jesus. Hey, Jesus, come here. Let's stab him in the back and throw him off a cliff. But he kept coming. So what's our excuse? I'm I'm saying this because I've seen, I remember an old lady when I was preaching in Alaska. So I was preaching in the Alaskan Native Brotherhood Hall. And to preach there as a white guy, you have to have it opened by a Native American. And so this Native American woman, she was like 90 years old. She was on a walker. She had to open the meeting in prayer, and she starts making her way to the microphone, and it took her 12 minutes just to get 10 feet on the microphone. And I was like, my gosh, what's going to happen? This lady grabbed the microphone, 90-something years old, took a deep breath. Father, thank you for the fire. I mean, she went to town. It's Jesus, fall in this place turned up. I mean, like suddenly she's like an 18-year-old doing warfare, swinging her arms. I mean, she was fiery. So I went to her after the service. I said, ma'am. That was like the greatest introduction prayer I've ever heard for a service. She said, when I was younger, everybody went to church on this island. We were on an island called Huna. Everybody went to church. She said, now the combined total of church attendance on the island doesn't equal who's at the bar. And this is what she said, 90 years old. The Bible says, respect your elders, right? Does it? Just checking. Just checking. She says, when I was younger, we were taught to go to church. But then my generation did not teach our children to honor the Lord in that capacity. And she said, one generation and we've lost everything. You know, Joshua stood up before the Israelites after the supernatural hand of God delivered them into the promised land. Undeniable victory that the sun literally stopped for them to win a battle. And he said, choose what God you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And two chapters later, it says there arose another generation, the next generation, that didn't even know the Lord. It happens in a generation. Come on, church. Do you like where America is right now? Who in here thinks America is hunky dory? No, we need revival, we need reformation. We need a shaking going on in this nation. We need to get the hell out of our leadership and get the heaven back into this place. If you agree with that, shout amen. Amen. It's true. Let me tell you, where does that happen? In Washington, D.C.? No, it happens in the local churches. Where are callings heard? Where are destinies revealed? Where are bodies changed? Where are supernatural encounters? It's in the church. Come on. So your kid, they may be six years old, but let me tell you, a six-year-old raised in the presence of the Lord will have an understanding and a softness towards the things of God. That's right. But if you keep them away from it, there arises a generation that doesn't even know the Lord. And that's how you wind up in problems. People are like, man, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So let us get it right. You want to give something to God? Make a commitment. I do this, and I want you to hear this. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm in full-time ministry. I've been in ministry for a decade of my life. I've been serving the Lord for 20 years, two decades, and every year I recommit myself for a year to the Lord. I say, Lord, I give you this year. And I do that to challenge myself, number one, in giving and everything, but I say, Lord, I give you 2023. Why do I do that? Because if you don't recognize... That you have every day presented opportunities to pull away, to decline, to walk away. And it can pull you away from the presence of the Lord. That you've got to constantly rededicate yourself to God. Am I focused on what's a time of prayer and fasting? That's to get your eyes back on the things that matter. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I pleasing to you, God? What is going on in my life? And I give you this year. I will honor you all the days of my life. And that's why I tell people on altar calls, give one year of your life to God. Why do I always say one year? Because if you say give the rest of your life, people can't even fathom that. You know what I'm saying? Look at America and the divorce rate. People don't really get the whole thing for life till death do you part. They're like, yeah, number three might be lucky. <laughs> Is everybody okay tonight? <laughs> I said, you know, it's true. It's not, like... But you give a year. Can you do a year for the Lord? Commit 2023. This year, Lord, I will honor you. I'm going to show up with my family in the house of God. I'm going to serve you, God. They're going to know the voice of the Lord. They're going to draw nearer to you. I'm going to lead them. I'm going to guide them. And parents, you've got to lead. Amen. Amen. Lead them into the things of God. The Bible says when Simon Peter met the Lord that he instantly went and led, or not uh, Andrew, instantly went and led Simon Peter to the Lord. Are you leading by example? You want to give something back to God, the great exchange? Let a year of your life be dedicated to the house of God. I thought about that today as I was leaving Publix with tons of sandwich meat. And a man out there with Salvation Army was ringing their bell. You know the history of Salvation Army? It didn't just begin as a thrift store. It began as an army of salvation that had such a reputation. Armies would meet the missionaries when they showed up at the countries because they thought an army was invading but it was missionaries on a mission to win the lost at any cost. Salvation Army. William Booth had a supernatural, life-changing encounter with God in a dream where he watched humanity drowning, and he cried and wept himself till he woke and said, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I've been to his house in England where his house has got a plaque on it. You can walk up to it. People live in it, but you just everybody runs up in their yard and takes a picture and giggles. <laughs> I'm sure they really love that. Amen. But William Booth wrote, the day he preached the gospel in England, it was in the 1500s, it was so perverse as a society that the Englishman was a drunkard, a glutton, a wicked man, and everybody knew it. He said the first time he went and preached the gospel out in public, someone turned and peed on him. How many people think that sounds like a good reception? No. And he wrote in his diary, today I have found what I will do for the rest of my life. Because he was like, this is what we need to do to change England. England had a reformation because of a move of God. It always begins in the house of God. Come on, somebody. A strong church makes a strong nation. A strong nation will turn the world around. And I'm telling you, Jesus is going to come back for a strong church. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. What's part of that? Another thing to do. It's part of building a strong church. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 23. You can read it yourself. He says, you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, which are justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees saying, yes, you tithe. You should do that, but you should also be people that stand for the kingdom of God, justice, mercy, and love. Amen. Amen. But he, he doubled down on the fact that you should be a tither. Let me tell you something. There is a plan in this nation to break the back of every single person. Hear me. You don't have to tithe to this church. You can tithe to any church where the move of God exists. But if you don't become a tither, that's up to you. But I'm telling you, you're gambling with your life because the Bible clearly states that if you tithe, if you bring your tithe into the storehouse, God will open the windows of heaven upon your life and pour out a blessing. There is not room enough to receive. You have the opportunity, plus the tithe is the Lord's. It was in motion before there was ever a law where there was tithing. Abraham did it by faith to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a tither, giving 10% to the Lord. I thought about this, like I said, when I came out of the Salvation Army. Because I looked at the guy, and obviously you give to charities. But I thought, you know, so much of my life, I give and give and give. Thank God for a local church to give to. To know that you're not giving to, a, to a, 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 an organization that you have no idea what they do with it. You know what I mean? You give to a local church, you're feeding the poor. You're sending missionaries around the world. You're supporting local community efforts. I mean, the church is involved in everything. Take this church. It's incredible what happens. But the tithe. I have watched this year as a church. Hear my heart. I'm not angry. I'm not belittling. But I've just watched this year of so many people that have gone through struggles financially. And let me tell you, I believe in the tithe. And I believe that if you're a tither, God will watch over you. And I have faced seasons of a life where it was like you had to pull up your account, figure out how much gas you could put in it, and you had to ration that gas for the week. But I can tell you, the hand of the Lord has changed my life, and I don't have to live that way anymore. It's real. The hand of God is real. And the blessing, the Bible says, the blessing does what? It makes one rich and it adds no sorrow. If you, and people say, well, what does that look like? It looks different for everybody, but I'm telling you, if you're a tither, God will watch over his word to perform it, and the hand of the Lord will provide for your household in any and all circumstances. If the food disappeared in the shelves of America, which is a plan, let me tell you, as a tither, chickens would roll into your yard and start <laughs> dropping eggs. A cow would come and squat at your front window, and begin to drop milk. Something supernatural would happen, Pastor Joe. Birds would fly in the window and hit the refrigerator and knock themselves unconscious. Right when someone says, I'm hungry, what's for dinner? Whack! Looks like pigeon. (laughs) Squirrels would get ran over outside of your house every day. Anybody ever had squirrel? I will tell you, it's pretty tasty, actually. My daughter, Emma, loves squirrel. If you want to get her something for Christmas. (laughs) We were at a cookout. Someone brought the whole squirrel. I'm talking the whole skinned it. It's cooked. (laughs) Teeth out. I was horrified by it. Emma tore right into that thing. She kept watching her sneak behind people, grabbing another (laughs) hindquarter. So you, you can have my half, young lady. You eat that little, but I tell you, if you ate in three days, if you haven't eaten in three days, that squirrel is like, thank you, Jesus, you little buck teeth, delicious delight. I've been feeding them, them acorns. It tastes delicious. (laughs) Give him back to the, plus the tie. God gave you a hundred percent. Come on, somebody. He gave you life. Are you with me right now? You wouldn't even be able to function if it wasn't for the Lord. If you, you you wouldn't have a brain, you'd be like the scarecrow, the lion, and the whatever, the metal guy. Tin man, thank you. I was like, he had a name. What was it? Metal guy. Wouldn't have a heart, wouldn't have a brain. But thank the Lord. That you have it all. He gave you everything. Every good gift comes down from above. From the Father of lights. I say that with all seriousness. Honor the Lord with with your increase. And watch what God will do. God will provide for your household. And the hand of the Lord will be seen. By your children and your children's children. And the Bible says clearly. David said it. I have been young and I have been old. But I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Or their seed begging for bread. Come on, somebody. Amen. Declare it over yourself right now. As a tither, the blessing of God is on my house. We will not lack in Jesus' name. That's Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You won't want for any good thing. God will provide everything that is necessary. According to His riches and glory. God doesn't need the United States government to boom. He doesn't need a good stock market. He doesn't even need a dollar bill. God can provide according to His riches and glory. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Honoring the Lord. And then lastly, and we're closing with this. It says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. It says, He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for... The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You want to get back to God, get this right. That the work of the ministry is not for the fivefold. It's for a believer. Amen. As a believer, build the kingdom of God. Preach the gospel. Pray for people. Lay hands on the sick. Do the work of the ministry. Build God's kingdom and make Him famous. Come on, somebody. Your neighbor might need a miracle tonight. And you could bring a bag of cookies and a miracle to his doorstep. Come on, somebody. All by simply showing up and saying, you know what? God loves you. Can can I pray for you for anything? Do the work of the ministry. It's the time. That's what we're all called to do. America and every generation that declines and gets more perverse is based upon the fact that the church got quieter and quieter. Amen. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I would love to see a revival in America. Amen. I'd love to see this nation shaken and the goodness of God poured out. Yeah. Do the work of the ministry. What does that look like? Do you have to preach? No, you don't have to preach. You're not all called to preach. Thank God we're not all preachers. Preaching uh, to an individual plus is awkward. Do <laughs> You ever try and preach one-on-one? You just make a person feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> Don't preach to an individual. Don't show up in their front yard and start preaching. And who in here has ever been ministered to by a sidewalk prophet? Really? Okay, we'll take it. Oh, so you you stopped to pray with him. So it wasn't just judgment is coming that ministered to you. Okay, clarify. Amen, amen. It's like you, it's just living your life, loving the Lord, serving the Lord, the hand of God upon you. And you just live your life in a way that it builds other people. It pours into them. It ministers and it, it shows people Jesus Christ. He is good. And this nation needs to see the goodness of God right now. Amen. Thanks for listening to River Claremont's podcast. We pray you were greatly blessed by this message. If you'd like to keep up to date with what's happening at the River Claremont Church, visit us at riverclaremont.com.